Janice Connolly, the Artistic Director of Women in Theatre, and I'm very, very pleased to welcome you to the Women in Theatre podcast. In this series, we present monologues from our Women and Work trilogy. Developed from conversations with women of different ages and backgrounds, these pieces we hope respect and celebrate individual human stories about women's working lives. You're about to hear a monologue from our 2014 show for the past 30 years. The show was created as a celebration of the company's 30-year anniversary. And for the past 30 years, shone a light, really, on the experiences of women who'd spent the last three decades working in theatre, health, community, probation, education and business sectors. Aimed to give voice to an array of strong, impassioned women and retaining our mission to create meaningful drama with a genuine social and political agenda. We hope you enjoy them. Coming up now is the monologue written by Polly Wright and actually performed by Polly here. After you've listened to the monologue, there'll be a chance to listen to me talking to Dame Julie Moore, who was one of the women that we talked to as part of our research cohort. At the time, Julie was very, very involved with the health service. Before we hear me and Julie talk, let's hear what we're going to be talking about. Sue Bevan, 64, nurse, partner, dog lover. Thank you very much, Sharon, for your instructive talk. I'm sure none of us thought that digitising health was going to be such a thought-provoking and entertaining subject. Right, I'm Sue Bevan, modern matron. Oh, um, uh, well, talk amongst yourselves while I get this PowerPoint sorted. Uh, I mean it, talk amongst yourselves. Nick, what's happened? Why isn't it going on to the next slide? What? There isn't a mouse. Well, I don't know. Sharon must have taken it. Look, OK, when I call slide, can you move it on? Yes? Fine. OK, now, quiet, please. Quiet, please. Right, as I said before, I'm Sue Bevan, spelt B-E-V-A-N, as in nigh. Nye Bevan? Ring any bells? Never mind. Slide. Thank you, Nick. And I am modern matron at the Joseph Chamberlain NHS Foundation Trust. And this is my slide. Nightingale Lecture 2014. Right, students, uh, future colleagues. As you know, I'm privileged to have been asked by our trust to give the annual Nightingale Lecture, so-called because every year our revered Florence gave a lecture to her probationer nurses to give them the benefit of her experience in the hope that lessons were learned to prevent future mistakes. So, in assessing the current state of the NHS, our first duty is to address the recommendations of the Francis Report following the Midstaffs Review. Slide. Thank you. And here are the Trust's responses to the Francis report. Slide. Openness. OK. Good. Next slide. Compassionate caring. 
See? Next slide. Leadership. Got that? Can you please turn off all mobile phones now? Next slide. As you can see, this is a shocking photograph which the press got hold of from Miss Staffs of an old woman drinking water from a vase. Let me assure you that nobody drinks water out of our vases in our trust because we have... Slide. This. Did I hear someone ask what's that? Well, obviously, it's a water cooler which we have on every corridor and on every ward in this hospital. Slide. And, of course, the Trust has a 97% score on empathy. But we need to consider how we define empathy. And for this, I have a clip from the Communication Skills Department. Slide. Next slide, Nick. Have you gone to sleep? Oh, it's frozen. Well, can you just unfreeze it, please? Silence. Silence. You, can you stop texting in my lecture? Well, I hope that's what you're doing with your thumbs down there. <laughs> OK, OK, settle down, yeah. <laughs> OK, yes, no, no, we've had our joke. OK, Settle down. Right, that's it. I am not going any further until I can see all your mobiles are turned off. Put them on the tables in front of you where I can see them. And that goes for all other electronic devices. You, your hair is touching your collar. Put it up. No grip? Yeah, well, you've said it. And you? You smell. Definitely perfume. How do you think a sick patient will feel when he smells that? Wash it off immediately. And you? Yes, you. Where's your hat? I know, we're indoors now. But is it in your bag, yes or no? I don't think I heard that. Yes, what? Yes, matron. Have we all got our hats? That's better. Remember, yours is a sacred calling and you are handmaids. And handmen or handymen. <laughs> Only joking. When I went into nursing in the 1970s, it was still the age of the matron. None of this modern matron malarkey. Just matron. Now you see a scoring matrix, I think they call it. Everything is scored these days, isn't it? Ofsted, CQC, QAA, benchmarks, etc., etc. Outstanding, very good, good, requires improvement, inadequate, poor. Well, this is my system. And it's called the SBMR. The Sue Bevan Metallic Register. And as you can see here, it ranges from tin to platinum. What's on the table, Nick? A laser... What? Laser point? No, 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 I'm perfectly happy with a ruler. So, let's score three stories from the benefit of my experience. Good. 
Do you recognise the woman in the second row in the picture? That's me in the 1970s. A lot thinner and with different coloured hair, but it's still me. Can you make out the caption? Story one, Sue Bevan. 40 years a nurse and still in the saddle. I believe I was born to be a nurse. I put bandages on my teddies in the summer holidays. I forced my sister to lie all day with one leg in traction. We both went to church, my sister and I, Sunday school, sang in the choir, brownies, girl guides. We both lost God, but the values stuck. We were brought up in the notion of public service. Anyone know what that is? No, you probably think it's something to do with bus routes. Public service is the notion that you choose a profession where you can give back to the community. Where you can make a difference. Not because it's high status, well paid or secure. No, you choose one where you can do unto others what you would want to be done unto you. Do as you would be done by. Who said that? Charles Kingsley, The Water Babies. OK, Google him. Empathy, you see. I couldn't be bothered with school. I couldn't wait to be a nurse. If you were under 18, you went in as a cadet nurse. I'm still friends with most of the girls I started with. There's the 1970 intake. Dorothy Baker, Phyllis Brown, Hyacinth Jones, Neela Patel, Glenda Shawcross, my Glen, and me. We all keep in touch now through Facebook and last year we booked a weekend in Mallorca. There we all are. <laughs> Changed a bit but we still know how to enjoy ourselves. It was such a laugh, almost like old times. Ah, there's the old place. Woodland Green Nurses Home, Selly Oak, 1974. 10.30 curfew. Well, we were lucky in the 50s, they locked you in at night. In the 70s, you could get a pass until midnight of a weekend, but if you were later than that, the girls on the ground floor would pull you through their windows if you'd been out dancing on a Saturday night. Those were the best of times. Drinking hot chocolate, chewing over the evening's events with the ground floor girls. Yes, matron was strict and the sisters ruled their wards like little Hitlers. There were rules about everything. How you made the beds... How you cleaned up, how you took temperatures. Every week, Sister Joyce would test you on the names of the patients and their illnesses. And woe betide you if you forgot, or worse still, made it up. But you know what? You didn't. You learnt the value of knowing your patients. You see, you really did learn on the job. After your first year, you were staffing your own ward, which meant you were running it. If you didn't know about a disease, you got a book out of the library and mugged it up. Not for an exam, but for your real patients on your real ward. You don't do that, do you? All you do is observe. Hanging around, I call it. 
I've seen you twittering and Facebooking. Well, back to us. All the other nurses got married and had kids. Things were changing even then. Nurses weren't married to the job anymore. All except Glenn and I. We went on living at the nurses' home until the 1980s. Ah, oh, there's Mary, our first dog. A lovely black lab we called Mary Seacole. Well, that was too much for the home, so we had to move out to our own flat, a nice little place just off Harborn High Street. After the age of matron came the age of the chief nursing officer under Maggie Thatcher. But wards were still disciplined and tidy. For me, the most peaceful sight in the world is a well-turned hospital bed corner. Sue Bevan metallic register score for those days... Gold for very good. And how do we score the NHS now? Have we learnt the lessons of mid-staffs? Story two. Carol Gillian Bevan. Rest in peace, 1928 to 2011. My mum. 20 years old in 1948 when that nice Mr Bevan set up the National Health Service or the health scheme, as Mum and Dad called it. Mum wrote to Nye Bevan to congratulate him and he replied. A short letter, but she kept it for the rest of her life. I've still got it. And then when handsome Welshman Stephen Bevan came along with the same name as her hero, well, she had to marry him. Simple as that. And not for the usual reasons people had to get married in those days. And here's another picture of Mrs Bevan, my mum. 84, a year before she died. After Dad died, Mum had a stroke and her medication caused blood thinning which led to bad nosebleeds. Neither my sister nor I lived close by and one time I drove for four hours through the night because she'd been taken into A&E with a nosebleed which wouldn't stop. By the time I got to the hospital she was lying on a trolley waiting to be admitted to an ENT ward as soon as a bed became available. They'd packed her nose and if you've ever had your nose packed you'll know how painful it is. But they wouldn't even give her a paracetamol because she hadn't been formally admitted. Pre-admission medication guidelines. My mum's part of that World War II generation who thinks it's shameful to cry. She didn't cry when my father died. But she cried now. What's the health scheme coming to? She said over and over again. Nye Bevan would turn in his grave. When at last they did admit her after 12 hours on the trolley, I sat with her in the ENT ward and observed. What did I see? Nurses leaning against the wall, chatting, texting. Old demented patients shouting madly, no one bothering to listen to them. But on that ENT ward, I saw something which would have made Florence Nightingale sit up in her coffin and batter the lid to be let out. Clumps of cotton wool soaked in fresh blood, 
left in swab dishes all over, on tables, next to the beds. Then I saw red, blood red, if you like. I took one of the dishes up to a nurse and I asked her what was going on. And she shrugged her shoulders and muttered something in an Eastern European accent. I'm not a UKIP voter. It wasn't the not speaking English that made me mad. It was because she shrugged. I don't speak any languages, but if someone approached me in a foreign ward with a load of bloody dressings, I don't reckon I'd be lost in translation. I rapped on the glass window to complain to the staff nurse. She was on the phone and was white as a sheet. I knew what she was doing. Ringing, ringing, emailing, texting, asking, no, begging to get enough staff for the weekend. It wasn't her fault the ward was in chaos. I dumped the cotton wool in the correct waste bin and went back to sit by my mum. Midstaff's wasn't an isolated case. The failures in care in our NHS are endemic. The NHS may be beyond repair. So, how did that hospital score on the Sue Bevan metallic register? I think I'd say tin. Poor, wouldn't you? So, in the words of my old mum, what is the health scheme coming to? How many times do I have to tell you to turn your phone off? You! Turn it off now, please, or I'll confiscate it. Story number three, Glenda's story. And mine. There we are in our garden in Edgebaston with our dog. Everything normal. Except Glenda's drip. Lots of nurses smoked heavily and we were no exception. I don't smoke now. When we got her prognosis, Glenda's GP asked if we wanted to do an advanced care directive, which meant that she could choose how she wanted to die. She chose to die at home. A 24-hour rapid response team administered her drugs to keep her pain-free and the GP and district nurse came as little or as much as we wanted. They knew that I could handle the nursing care, but they also knew I didn't want to. Glenn wasn't my patient, and we wanted time together. She died in the autumn, holding my hand. Our dog, Floss, curled up on our bed looking at the chestnut trees through the window. Have you noticed the autumn colours in the last few years? Climate change, I read. Golds, reds, russets, greens, as usual. But now, psychedelic pinks, oranges, lime greens and yellows burning up in the evening sun. In the dimming of the day, that's when my Glenda died. 
no going to Switzerland, dying at home with dignity and saving the NHS resources by releasing a bed. Nurse to the end. How does Glenda's care rate on the Bevan scoring register? Platinum. Excellent. Best of the best. Our NHS. Public service free at the point of delivery. What lessons would Florence Nightingale draw from this? That we have a responsibility to do everything in our power to keep it that way. Thank you. I haven't finished yet. No. How old do you think I am? Go on. How old do you think I am? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, 64. Yes, you're right. (laughs) Almost the same age as the NHS itself. I bet you're thinking, when's she going to retire? Answer is, she isn't. Why should I? I love my job. I'm still in the saddle to do as I would be done by and it makes me happy. If that old leaky ship, the health scheme, goes down in the next few years, I'm going down with it. Thank you. So we've just heard the brilliant Polly Wright performing Sue Bevan and you can listen on to my conversation with Dame Julie Moore who's very high up in the health service at the time and really, we're really, really pleased to be able to talk to her now and reflect really because that was that was um, being recorded in 2014 and we're in 2020 so it's a chance to see how things have changed what's stayed the same in the health service If you enjoyed hearing Sue's story we want to spread the word so don't forget to rate and review this podcast Okay, so that was um, the the piece about Sue Bevan, written by the brilliant Polly Wright, and I'm so pleased that I've got Dame Julie Moore with me, who's one of the people that we researched with about five years ago. And um, Julie's just heard that again for the first time in five years, and I'd just be very interested to know what struck you. Has things changed? Are they the same? How did you feel when you were listening to her? Well, the first thing was I became very nostalgic. I was remembering my time as a student nurse, And I think one of the things that I did feel was that we've always harked back to a golden era and probably there never was one. Mm -hmm. Probably there were always problems. And I think in many ways things have got better because we're more open about the problems now. But in many ways things have got worse because the NHS is far more politicised. And only this morning I was reading an article from someone saying what we don't need is yet more reorganisation, more think tanks calling for changes to the way the NHS is run. The way when you look at it compared to any international system, it is one of the very best in the world and it's one of the most cost-effective, cost-efficient systems there are. Don't fix what's not broke, just fix the broke bits. Okay, but but it always seems to be reorganised, doesn't it? Why is it? It's such a political football as well, isn't it? Well, what it does need is a real understanding of why there are problems and some of the problems are due as we've always said to the success of the NHS there are more and more people living to older age Mm. with complex problems often many complex problems that are that, that are now alive that wouldn't have been in earlier years and they need care and okay. we need people to do the care. We're short of quite a lot of staff in the NHS of every um, in every area. So recent figures were short of at least 100,000 staff. 
And people are going to need more and more care. We are going to have to find ways of doing that. And at the moment, it doesn't seem to be an attractive place to work. I was interested when you were saying it made you nostalgic for your nursing days. I think in the piece there's the suggestion that nurse training has really properly changed, that it's become less hands-on. Well, hands-on care is hands-on care, and actually we do require nurses to have hugely different levels of skills and knowledge than they used to have, but the hands-on care is still there. Is it? Because that's what people want. Well, also, I, people don't want unskilled, untrained nurses, and I do remember when I was a student that quite often very junior nurses were left alone in charge of patients and there but for the grace of god things didn't go wrong and actually that wasn't a good system no so um, this late so when she's saying in the piece you just went to google the, the equivalent of googling you went to the library oh you did what, do that yeah so people were maybe not as informed then do you think they, no, were, they didn't know as much people weren't really prepared you were thrown in at the deep end and if you swam great but if you sank mm. you sank and probably you know your patients didn't get the best care so i think things have changed for the better in terms of overall education of all our health professionals and it's not just nursing i think mm. all healthcare professions have changed the way that education's undertaken for the better so, for example, doctors do an awful lot now about communication, which is often a thing patients complain about, that they don't communicate well. And there's still going to be one or two who don't. But I think that's vastly improved. And people are much more open now. If a mistake's happened, then the healthcare staff are much more willing to tell people, look, you know, we got it wrong this time and this is what we're going to do to put it right. And that's where things go wrong when people don't admit things have gone wrong. No, they, look need for to, ways. Yeah, they need to speak up. But unfortunately, the press and the media generally are always looking. I know the mid-staff story is the one that always gets brought up, as it does in that piece. But the, we're very keen to spread bad news. Do you think there's enough talking about the good news? Because you're saying there's lots of great things. There is lots of great things. But as you know, the old adage, bad news sells. Yeah. And actually, if things go wrong, then they do need reporting. They do need exposing so everybody can learn and make sure that it doesn't happen again. But mm. we have said time and time again, these things can't happen again. And then they do. I mean... We are dealing with humans as well, and humans make mistakes. And so you can't ever expect an NHS where mistakes don't happen. What should happen, though, is that we learn from those mistakes and we take steps to make sure that whatever needs to happen to stop it happening again is put in place, whether that's training, education, systems, safeguards. That has to happen. And I think the NHS is better at that. What it's not good at at the moment is it's got a, a huge amount of staff shortages Demand's growing as we've got more older people living with more chronic diseases. We need more and more care. And actually, healthcare sometimes is not seen as the most attractive occupation these Mm. days. And I won't go near the whole Brexit issue, but we did have a lot of nurses coming in from Europe and that, and I know that has fallen significantly. And so we've got to find ways of making nursing, the allied health professions and everything else attractive places where people want to go and work because they're not often seen as such now. And what work's been done in your knowledge to, to do that, really, to start recruiting like those young nurses were recruited all those years ago? What's happening? Well, there's far more options open for people now. When um, the matron was talking, they probably you expected to funnel um, young women into nursing, teaching or secretarial careers. Mm. Now you can go into media, IT, or a whole range of other options. And people want more flexible working. And flexible working is great. But actually, nursing is a 24-7. All healthcare professions are 24-7 jobs. So the fact somebody says, I only want to work Monday through to Thursday, 9 to 5, 
well, that care needs to be given outside those hours. So yeah. for some people, it's never going to be an attractive option in that way. Mm. There are some jobs in, in healthcare you can do within those hours, but actually, you know, people get sick in the middle of the night. We still need people to work nights and weekends as well. So trying to make it more flexible, and people have tried to make it more flexible, we still do require people working round the clock. Yeah, because as you say, it's about health, isn't it? We need yeah. care 24 hours. And maybe people are not as prepared to give up so much of their life. Do you think yeah. there are the same career nurses as there used to be? I think there are. And what really heartens me and heartens me before before I retired in September was talking to young nurses, talking to young people. They had the same zeal for wanting to mm. care for patients as they ever did. In fact, I would look at them and think, you know, they've got so they had so much more knowledge than we had at that age and their attitudes and that, you know, what came through in, in the, 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 the interview, the, the, the play was the ethos of public service, that's still there in people. They really do want to care for people. And those who have chosen the caring professions really do want to make a difference, really do care for patients. And that caring level is as good as I've ever seen. Well, I think that's a great point to leave this discussion, actually. The zeal and the, the desire to care is as good as ever, if not better. Hmm. Thank you very much, Dame Julie Moore. Thank you very much. So that was me, Janice Connolly, talking to Dame Julie Moore. Thanks so much for listening. And we really hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Now, if you know someone who would benefit and enjoy listening, then maybe share it with them. Also, rating and reviewing the podcast will help us find more listeners. Sue Bevan was written and performed by Polly Wright. And it was directed by Joe Gleave. Sound design was by Sam Frankie Fox and the podcast was recorded at Brum Podcast Studios with Brum Radio. The Women in Theatre podcast is funded by Arts Council England, the Sir Barry Jackson Trust, the Feeney Trust, the Cole Charitable Trust and The Space. And the monologue was originally part of the stage production for the past 30 years, produced in association with Birmingham Repertory Theatre. Now, this is a free podcast from Women in Theatre. We're a charity. So if you think, oh, I'd like to support the work we do, you can make a donation by visiting our website, womenintheatre.co.uk forward slash supporters. Mm-hmm.